So, four baby goats, two of them newborn, two are a day and a half old. Mama has hers in the shed on the side of the mountain. Razzie is locked in the barn down below with hers. The next day I go down. I feed Razzie in the barn. Her babies are jumping around inside. All three want out, but I won't let them. I don't want Mama to steal them from Razzie. Mama's babies are sleeping when I take her her feed. They sleep on the back of each other. If you see one, the other will be right there. Mama eats. Later, I let Razzie and her babies out of the barn. I want to see what they do and how Mama will react. Clifton comes by and we sit and watch. The little ones get together and start playing. They hang around Mama. Razzie is out on the field near the barn, seemingly oblivious to all of this. We watch and Mama starts licking all of the babies. Razzie ignores it all. Uh Uh-oh, says Clifton. She wants all those babies. So I grab Razzie and her two young ones and lock them in the barn. Razzie has water and hay in there, but she's not happy. She stomps around and calls out frequently. It sounds like she's saying, Master, let me out of here right now. Mom and her babies have the run of the mountain. I go down later to check on them. Mama's udder is full, bigger than I've ever seen it. I take her into the milking parlor through the front door so we don't have to get by Razzie and her babies. I put some grain in her manger. She jumps up on the milking stand, and I milk her. I take out about three-fourths of a gallon. You see, if the milk stays in there, it can cause diseases, mainly mastitis, which would probably kill Mama. She's producing so much milk, the two small babies can't drink enough of it. So I milk her each day, twice, for three days. By then, her babies are taking much more, and her production is regulated. The first milk these mothers produce after birth is called colostrum. It contains antibodies to protect the newborns against disease and has a high protein and fat content. These newborn goats have very immature and small digestive systems, and colostrum delivers nutrients in a very concentrated, low-volume form. Razzie seems to get no pleasure from her babies. She nurses them for short periods and walks away. What do you think is her problem? I asked Clifton. She seems to have few maternal instincts. Remember what they did with the babies at the farm where you bought her? They'd take the babies from the mother right after birth and put them in a separate compound. They would milk the mother goats and feed it to the babies in bottles. Yeah, you're right. That's why she doesn't get attached. She didn't experience her babies in her life before this. So for the next three days, I'd shut the gate between compounds and let Razzie out for a few hours a day to eat grass and get some exercise. This gave time for Razzie to bond with her babies. I hoped that she'd get to like them more. It wasn't until the following Monday, the babies were almost a week old, that we opened the gate and let them in altogether. We watched them carefully from outside their fence. It seemed good. Mom and her baby stayed together, and Razzie watched out for hers. I breathed a sigh of relief. I felt like a jailer locking up Razzie and those babies in the barn. I slept fitfully that night and went down to the barn early the next morning to check on them.
I saw two piles of goats on opposite sides, each mother with her babies on top of her. Okay, that was fine. So the mothers are healthy. Babies are healthy and crazy. They jump on everything. They jump up in the air and they do a flip. They jump off the side of a hill. If you sit on a stump on the side of their hill, they'll jump up on your leg. They'll suck on any piece of clothing on your fingers. They'll jump on your shoulders, pull your hair. I could go on and on. Only one problem. Mama has intensified her dislike for Razzie. She butts her anytime she's around. In the shoulder, in the side. Poor Razzie doesn't even hang around in the barn with Mama anymore. I asked Clifton about it again. Same response as before. It's the goat in him. Nothing you can do. They'll be all right. And you know, Razzie is bigger and stronger and younger. But I've only seen her defend herself once. It was two days after Mama's babies were born. They were in the pasture behind the big barn. And Mama came at Razzie with her head down. Razzie dropped her head and took her, took her right on, bam, and again, bam. They reared up on their hind legs and did it again. It reminded me of the mountain goat rams fighting for dominance in one of those nature shows. It went on for, oh, five to ten minutes, and then they stopped. Mama started nursing her babies, and Razzie licked hers and started grazing. And I thought it was settled, but it wasn't. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, owner of Anashira. Pretty soon I'll be back to milking Mama and Razzie. We'll drink some of the milk, make that wonderful chevre cheese with some, but most will be used to make our handcrafted soaps. Okay, I'm going to give a tip to you folks who procrastinate in buying gifts. Mother's Day is right around the corner on May the 12th. For those of you lucky enough to have your mothers around, Buy her some Anashira soap. Be generous. Buy several bars. I've never known a mother who didn't worry about or suffer from dry skin. One way to deal with that issue is to use my nourishing soaps. Do yourself a favor. Make your mama happy. And while you're at it, buy some for your spouse or significant other. Use discount code SPRINGSALE15. That's altogether Spring Sale 1 5 for a 15% discount. I offer it only to my podcast listeners. Save yourself some moolah. When we parted in the last episode, I was winding down my time in Oberhausen. Stay with me as I tell you how I said goodbye in this week's episode of Stories from Anashira. some action on applying for college back in the States. I had been a successful cross-country runner and also a pretty good quarter and half miler in high school. My pals on those teams took it seriously. We even followed a special diet designed by Olympic track and field coach Peyton Jordan. He was also the track and field coach at Occidental College. Brownies made with carob powder instead of chocolate was a staple item. Not too delicious. I had really wanted to go to school and run at the University of Oregon in Eugene, which was coached by the legendary Bill Bowerman. He trained dozens of Olympic athletes 
and All-Americans, a number of American record holders and NCAA champions. The guy was also co-founder of Nike. When I got to Germany in that summer, I was invited to run competing for the local track club, Rot-Weiss Oberhausen, in the 400 meters. I hadn't really trained in a while, but I went out as I was, ran a pretty good race, got beat by a great runner, got second, decent time too. I felt pretty good. Planned on training with that team later in the winter and racing for them in the spring. You know, that broken leg playing handball ruined all of those plans. I didn't run again for many years. So I couldn't ride my athletic skills into college. Had to apply cold like everybody else. I didn't like the admission process at all. Which was complicated by my being separated from the states by the Atlantic Ocean. So I finally got an application for one school, completed it, submitted it. My German host parents and Uli were a little confused. Does everyone who applies to an American university get accepted? They asked. No, not really. What happens if you are rejected? You only applied to one school. I don't plan on being rejected. Well, what if you are? I hadn't really thought that one through. I figured I'd cross that bridge if I came to it. Muti and Fatih did worry about it, though. About a month and a half later, I received an acceptance letter, and everyone breathed easier. Ulrich said, I never worried. I have a lot of faith in you. When I'd been in the hospital with a broken leg and a cast from my toes all the way up to my left hip, I had a black marker in my nightstand. My leg was elevated on this stand, night and day. It remained there for weeks and weeks. People would come to visit and sign the cast. Many would write clever sayings on it. One was, Besser gips am Bein als gips im Kopf. Better plaster on the leg than plaster in the head. When I was healed, they used a small power saw like a miniature skill saw to cut through the cast, one cut on each side. It just lifted off then. It fit back together as if it were a single piece. I intended to ship it back to California where I wanted to make it into a lamp. It would be unique. Good conversation piece. But shipping costs were too high for my budget and I left it in Germany. As my departure date approached, I worked hard to say goodbye to all my pals and the people who'd played a role in my life there. Wir haben viel gefeiert. We celebrated a lot. People knew I loved the many German sausages and Zenf, the spicy German mustard. I ate plates of Metwurst, as a minced pork and bacon, Leberwurst, liverwurst of course, made from veal liver and goose liver and liver from other creatures. And in the bars, we ate a kind of meatball called Frikadellen. They have a platter of them on the bar at room temperature. They're excellent. There were three major newspapers in the Oberhausen, Duisburg, Essen triangle. And I was surprised that they each wanted to interview me in the last couple of weeks of my stay. Why would they want to talk to me? So I sat down with them one at a time. It wasn't too bad. They sent some younger reporters, and we had a few good laughs. I didn't expect much, 
But over the next few days, Fatih would come home with a newspaper and place it on the dining room table with a flourish and a grin. Ernst, the famous guest, he'd say. One of the headlines read, Besser Gips am Bein als Gips im Kopf, and had a picture of the empty cast with me next to it. As we drove around that area in the last days, I frequently spotted huge Hochofen complexes, blast furnaces, spewing particulates in the air and belching emissions of sulfur dioxide and carbon dioxide. Uli and I would wash, dry, and wax the family Opal Cadet on Saturdays. And before we were done, the black fallout from those heavy industries would have settled on top of the car. It looked no better than it did before we started. But starting in the 1990s, German industries dismantled many of these furnaces and sent them piece by piece to China, where they were reassembled in Hebei province, China's new Ruhr Valley. There in Oberhausen is now clear and clean. I finally said my last goodbyes in August. It was more difficult than I had thought. I figured that Muti would give me a hug and maybe Ulrich, but when Fatih gave me a huge bear hug, I was shocked. I'd never had more than a firm handshake from him. I'm proud of you, he said. Stay strong, my son. I didn't know what to say. He was actually emotional. They held a big conference for all of the returning ICYE students in Europe before we returned. It was held in a venue near Radefonwald, where we had met just a year before. It felt like a lifetime to me. We drove there in the trusty Opel Cadet, and one more goodbye, a quick one. So unlike the goodbyes I've had in the Midwest, some of them seem to take hours. Bye, goodbye, blah, blah. Ah, bye, see ya, blah, 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 huh. I watched other kids dropped off, also quick goodbyes. I saw guys my age and older men with tears streaming down. I sure wouldn't see that in Fresno. Everyone looked older, more mature, more self-assured. There were kids here from six continents. I ran into my friends, and we all had stories to tell. They all seemed to be proud of their successes. We had seminars I didn't expect, some dealing with our new world, which wouldn't be the old world we'd left. We talked about the culture shock that we would soon experience. Don't be surprised when you feel a sense of loneliness and alienation. Very few people will understand the changes you've gone through. Many will want to find the person they said goodbye to a year ago. Remember the tools you've used over the last year to fit in back home. I'd never really thought about that very much, but I discovered it was true. We'd go out in the evenings to a local pub, walk down, sit down, talk about it over a beer. You know, said Wendell, the man who led us through East Berlin, goose-stepping and chanting, we can't do this at home. We won't be allowed to have a glass of wine or a beer for two more years. After a few days, the Americans and Canadians got on buses back to the airport in Amsterdam. We boarded one of those old DC-3s, the ones that have flames coming out of their engines when they warm up and take off. The captain said, don't be alarmed. It's what happens in these old airplanes. 
We finally got going, and we drank wine and laughed and talked and even slept a little as we made our way to Reykjavik, then Gander, Newfoundland, and finally on to JFK. We debarked, passed through passport control, and said our goodbyes as we passed through customs. It was strange to hear only American English over the public address systems. I made it out to the public area and saw my folks and my two little sisters. They looked at me as if they barely recognized me. Well, I did have a suit on and a white shirt and a tie. That's what we wore in Germany when we traveled. It was tense for quite a while between my parents and me. They stared at me wondering, has he been drinking, smoking, carousing with all these pretty girls? I wanted to tell them about the things I'd done, what I'd seen, and what I'd learned, but they didn't really seem interested in the details. It hit me harder when I got back to Fresno. I couldn't just go out and catch a bus downtown or anywhere. You had to wait forever for a bus, and then you had to transfer and wait again. I couldn't walk anywhere. Everything was so far away. No way could I meet my friends and head to a pub and have a beer. Not for a long time. I had to buy a car and get a job. And there were not many good jobs for kids my age. So I delivered flyers, I weeded gardens, I picked peaches. Oh my, that's a whole different story there. And the worst thing was the Vietnam War had been cranked up by that time. It seemed that Americans stood on one side of the fence or the other. Many of the middle-aged and older folks seemed to be in favor of the war. And they weren't the ones being sent to fight it. Most of my friends and kids I knew weren't keen on it. Two of my friends from my cross-country teams in high school were already in the service and headed to Vietnam. One had been drafted in the Army and one had volunteered in the Marine Corps. Within 15 months, they both were killed. The real sad thing was I could never talk with my dad about that war. I tried several times, multiple times, but every conversation ended badly. I'd like to say it didn't take all that long for me to fit in, but that's not really true. It wasn't until I got back to Germany two years later that I didn't feel so alienated. That's enough of that. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Anashira, thank you for your sponsorship. I milk the goats, make the soap, and you sell it. That's the way to do it. We've had a number of people come by to see the goats, babies and mamas. A friend of ours, Nancy, brought her mother by for breakfast last Saturday, but mainly she wanted to see the baby goats. I have these pancakes I make with flour, rye flour, and cornmeal that I make from Hopi blue corn that I grow and save the seeds from. They must have been pretty good because the four of us ate a whole double batch enough to supposedly feed eight people. And we ate bacon, eggs from our chickens, cantaloupe, and fresh rhubarb sauce that I made from plants outside my office here. Nancy's mom, Peg, is 90 years old and came dressed to kill as if she were going to church. Peg, are you sure you want to wear those clothes? Those baby goats will jump all over you and could ruin that beautiful blouse. No, I'll be fine. Don't worry. So we all drove down in the mule with Sammy. I fed the mamas and the four babies came in jumping and bouncing, flying around. I put a low chair out on the hillside 
for Peg to sit in and watch them in the grass. They jumped on her, sat in her lap, crawled under her legs and feet. They nibbled on her hair. It was nonstop activity, and Peg had the time of her life. If I hadn't gathered everybody up 45 minutes later and made them leave, she might still be sitting in that chair playing with those kids. Oh, I made some of those frikadellen for dinner last night. Dawn came home and found a plate of them. They were good, just like I remembered. Thank you for joining me here today. Wow, we've spent a lot of time in West Germany. I have something different planned for my next episode. Something so far from Oberhausen that you'd never guess where we're going. Join me for my next episode of Stories from Anashira. Anashira.